All right, guys, listen, I got to tell you, before I get into the word, I got just one quick announcement, and that is this. We have our Connect class coming up. And so if, if you're new here, you've been hanging around just a little bit, and you haven't gotten connected yet, we want you to get connected. And so come check it out. It's going to be two weeks, August 18th, 25th, right after church. Um, we're going to feed you some good food. We've got childcare, so your kids can hang out. We'll have some stuff for them. Um, and it's just a quick way for you to kind of get to know us and the leadership team and, and us to get to know you and kind of figure out who, how, who are you, how are you fit together, how do we all work, and, and, uh, and be able to put these pieces together. So come on, connect with us um, after church on those two days, and, uh, and we'd love to get to know you. Now, now if you're a guest with us today, um, I'd like to get to know you too. My name is Matt, and my wife Amber and I, we are the pastors here at City Church. And, uh, and so if this is your first time, you can connect with us a couple different ways, but the easiest way is to send me a text message. If you text guest into this number, um, it'll... Uh, It'll kick you back. I'm like, hey, we'd like to meet new friends, and you can send us a little info, and we'll send you some info, and we kind of start to get to know each other just a little bit, just a little bit. So we'd love to get, get that thing started. And then the last thing I have is this, is this is also the same time where we do uh, tithes and offerings. And so if you came prepared to give today, um, there's two ways to do that. You can go with digital or you can go analog. Digital, you can text in giving to that same number. It'll text you right back with a link so you can do our online uh, giving platform. Or if you wanted to give a cash or check, you can do that in the drop boxes on the way out um, this, today. Listen, I also want you to say this, is that um, uh, I don't want you ever to be guilted into giving. Um, this is something that I believe is between you and the Lord. So you should go pray about it. And, and whatever God tells you to do, I want you to do it. And it's kind of that simple. Uh, and so um, be, you and your potential spouse, if you're married, go, go, go home and pray about it. Say, what would the Lord have us to do? And then just do it. It's kind of simple. I think sometimes we overcomplicate life. And uh, when, there's, when God tells you to do something, just do it. It sounds easy, but then, you know, you know, sometimes it's hard, huh? Did you guys know that it's National Cookie Day? Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you've been around a little while, you know that I only tell terrible jokes on holidays. And so, and so you know that it's a holiday, so it's National Cookie Day. And, and, and I was going to tell you this really great cookie joke, um, but you know what? Never mind. It's kind of crummy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what cookie makes you rich? The fortune cookie. Yeah, yeah. So how about this? We're in church. This is good. What do you call an oatmeal raisin cookie baked at 666 degrees? Raisin hell. Yeah, all right. And what do you call it when two cookies from the same sheet fall in love? It's a batch made in heaven. The bat I know, cookies falling in love. So romantic. I don't know. And terrible jokes is what they are. But you know, I, I got to tell you, um, uh, Amber and I actually got married. We were, we were kind of young and, and uh, we fell in love and, and we got married. And some people, they said, wow, you kind of rushed into it. You know, we were, I was actually 22 when we met, 22 years old when we met. And, and, uh, and, and I proposed when I was 22. But see, we met in, our first date was at the end of January. And, um, and then I proposed on July 4th. And then we were married on October 20th of that same year, like, like super fast all the way through. And, and, uh, and because I guess when you know, you know, but, but people said, like, I can't believe you were going so fast. And I was like, but guys, I had a deadline, though. I mean, my hair was falling out fast, and I needed to do something about it. <laughs> I, I had a little, 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 little pressure on me, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it reminds me of this, this story. Uh, of Tom and, and Grace. They were attending a, a marriage seminar, and, and, and it was a, a room not unlike this, and, and the guy was up top front presenting um, all this marriage seminar. He's talking about communication, and, 
And in the midst of his talk, he, he actually called out to, to Tom and he says, you, you sir, you sir, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, can you please describe your wife's favorite flower? Kind of looked at the wife, he's paralyzed. The assistant ran over the microphone. He's like, I'm not sure what to do. And he says, um, maybe uh, gluten-free and self-rising? <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's terrible on so many levels, yeah. The more you think about it, the worse it gets, too, you know. It's, it's funny because marriage is, is kind of a universal topic. It, it, it kind of is, if you think about it, right? Everybody in the room here, you, you are either want to get married in the future, maybe, maybe you are married, or maybe you used to be married, and maybe you want to get married again, right? It's just some, isn't it funny how inside of every one of us, there's this desire to find our partner in life, our soulmate, our, our person that we want to hang out with. It's a God-given desire, and, he, and every one of us have this thing in our life. We want that lifelong companion. Every one of us have that. Someone to grow old with, you know, someone to have fun with. We're all wired that way. But, you know, we don't just want just any marriage. We want a happy marriage, don't we? We want a joyful marriage. We want a marriage that is, that is, it is, it is full of life. You ever see the married people that complain about being married all the time? You don't want that marriage. You want the marriage that you're like, you know the one, the people that annoy you because they're so happy about their marriage? And, and, and outwardly, everybody's like, oh, shut up, you know, you're like grossing us out. But on the inside, you're like, I want that kind of marriage, right? You want that kind of marriage in life. It's interesting. Science has done some research on marriage. <clears throat> and, and, and these repeated studies have found that there are health effects and differences between single people and married people. You see, people who are married tend to be a little bit healthier. It's kind of interesting. Uh, those who've been divorced or separated were 27% more likely to have shorter lives. And men were more susceptible than women. Men would have the shorter life more likely than, than the women if, if they either never got married or they were married and then they got separated. And If they were single in their older years, they, they, they had a shorter lifespan. It's kind of interesting. And another study found that being married makes one better off financially. It's interesting. They found that single people had a slow but steady growth of wealth. And the ones who were married they, and stayed married showed an um, a, uh, increase in wealth, a sharp increase in wealth. So if you really want to increase your wealth, get married and stay married. <laughs> On the other hand, divorce can actually devastate your wealth right? You get married and then you, you start to build something and then, then you get divorced and it just wipes it all out again. See, I, here's the thing. I think marriage can make you healthy. It can make you wealthy, but can it make you wise? Like that's the question, right? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because this is important because marriages around us are struggling all the time. Like we look at it and like if you're married, you can look at other married friends and you see some that are doing well and some that are struggling. I'll be honest that if you actually look at your own marriage, there are seasons when you feel like it's going really well and seasons maybe where you feel like it's not so well. Times where you're totally in sync with your partner and there's times where you're slightly out of sync with your partner. There's times where you have these seasons of closeness and, and, and times of, of struggle, right? And, and I'm telling you, everything that's good in life, you've got to fight for, you've got to work for. And so if you're in a marriage right now and your marriage is struggling, if your marriage is having some bumps on the road, I want to tell you it's worth the fight. It's absolutely worth the fight. Don't give up on your marriage yet. You see, God loves marriage. In fact, he created the first marriage between Adam and Eve in the garden. I, I got to say, sometimes we look at the world's way of doing marriage, 
And you see the divorce rate is, is crazy. When you look at the way God does marriage and the way he outlines it, God's way seems to be better. Seems to be better. And so we're in Ephesians. We're in the series of Ephesians. And we've been moving through the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to talk about this section in marriage. Now, I am fully aware that, that I am wading into probably the most controversial section on marriage in the Bible. And if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, you open your Bible to Ephesians 5. Now you can follow along. It's going to be on the screens as well. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to just jump into this thing. And so now if partway through this, you're like, I don't know if I like this pastor guy. I don't know if I like what's happened. Just wait, just wait. Let me finish the thoughts all the way through. Because if you just take the first part of it, you could be like, oh, I don't know where this guy is going, but, but I'm not sure how I, how I feel about it. So here we go. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, some Bibles will put, weird, put dividing marks of sections in the, in the Scripture, but I want you to start at verse 21. And it says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. <gasps> I know. Oh, no. Oh, he went there. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't know how your Bible is structured, right? There's breakpoints in it. Your Bible might be structured that there's like a header, like, a, like a, a, a text between verses 21 and 22. Some Bibles have that. As if the verses before that um, don't apply to the verses after that. And, and I have and specifically made sure to, to, to lump this together to put verse 21 right in there with, with verse 22. Right? I, I wanted to make sure that, that, that we had this in there because, because when Paul originally wrote the letter, those little breaks weren't there. It was just one long letter. And so you got to understand this. And this is why I made a point to do this. And it says this, that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which means this, you submit to one another. You pick it up with the putting down? There, there's a dual submission here. Right? So, so you start to look at it. There, there's this purpose that's happened. There's a reason why. There's, there's actually a mission to the submission. There, there's, there's a mission to what we're doing here. It says submitting to one another. You see, the spirit-filled Christian life is marked by mutual submission. It's done out of the fear of God, not out of the fear of man. Because let's be honest. Have you ever heard somebody weaponize this? Have you ever read this and thought, this looks like, like this is like straight up an attacking verse, right? Wife, submit to me. As unto the Lord, go make me a sandwich. You know? Like, yeah, she'll make you a sandwich, a knuckle sandwich. You know what I mean? Like, like... You see, submitting is actually kind of a military word. It's a military word, and it means to be underneath in rank. So think about this. The, the, the private in the military might be better, smarter, faster, more charming, but um, it doesn't matter what that private is, um, whatever the general says he's going to do, right? He's going he's to follow in rank. So here's the thing. The ranking doesn't mean that somebody is better or smarter than anybody else. There's just a natural order and ranking that's there. He isn't submitted to the general as a person necessarily as much as he is to the office that he holds. This isn't about being smarter or more talented. This has to do with a God-appointed order. And so it says here, wives submit, right? So to submit says that you recognize someone has legitimate authority over you. So listen, we submit to God. We recognize God's authority and act accordingly. We submit to the police, right? We pull over when they tell us to pull over. Mostly because we know what happens when we don't do it. Watch the news. Like, I don't want to get beat today. We submit to our employer, right? When our boss says show up on time. And if we don't show up on time and they give us a warning, we have no problem submitting there. So in a marriage, 
it's kind of a similar way. There's a submitting to each other that has to happen. Now, Paul happens to pick, let's go for the wives, and then we're going to talk about what the husband's role in this is too. So submission does not not mean inferiority. Submission does not mean silence. Submission means this, submission. There is a mission at hand, and you are part of it. You are part of this mission. Your family has a mission. Your marriage has a mission, and you are committed to it. So there's a mission for the Christian marriage, and that mission is obeying and glorifying God. And so the wife is saying, here, I'm going to put myself under that mission. I'm not putting myself below my husband. I'm putting myself below the mission that God has for our marriage and for our life. And it says, as unto the Lord, right? Now, don't worry. I've, I've, heard, enough, I've heard enough guys quote this in, in marriage counseling. Well, the Bible says, submit, submit to me as unto the Lord. Like what? Like as if you're God? Like are you, are you saying you want your wife to like treat you like God? Because that's not what this verse is saying. Right? It's not what this is saying. The husband says, submit to me as if I'm God. Listen, there are so many things wrong with that approach. Right? That it's not going to get you anywhere in this relationship. If you think that you can lord your husbandship over your wife in that kind of a manner, you're not going to get anywhere at all. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> Bro, you are not God. She does not need to submit to you as if you were. <laughs> it's like the wife says, I'll submit to him as long as he does what the Lord wants. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what that means. I don't know if that is either. Because here's the tricky thing, right? Because if, if you're saying, I'll submit to him if he's doing what God wants, how do you know where the line is between what, what you want and what the Lord wants? Right? I mean, I mean what, 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 what could it be? I mean, the Lord wants me to have a new car. So, you know, husband, you know, I'm still driving this old beat up thing. So I'll submit to you when I get that Escalade, you know? I know, right? <laughs> Bro's got to work like five jobs. But, but you know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's not like what, what happens when you, now you're, as the wife is saying that, then the wife is now in this position where, where she's now questioning like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know, right? It starts to slide into this. When she agrees with him then, and makes the right decisions, when he does it the right way. And see, conditional submission isn't submission. Conditional submission isn't submission. If you're submitted to this marriage and you're submitted to this relationship, if you are in this together, in it to win it, it's, it's an unconditional commitment. That, that's what this is. And this relationship is that. So the right thing is this, is that it defines the motives for the wife's submission. That's what this verse is really saying. Wives aren't doing this because of who the man is or the husband. The wife is doing this because of who God is. Right, And so it's, it's saying that, that I'm following, I, I, wives are part of the mission of following Jesus together as a team with their spouse. I mean, that's what a healthy marriage would start to look like in a Christian life. You would be a husband and a wife together submitted to each other, like it said in verse 21, as unto the Lord, as the Lord is your motivation of why you're submitting to each other on the mission that God has put into your marriage relationship. Does that make sense? Three of you, that's good, that's great, yeah, all right. I know, I told you in the beginning, I'm wading into like some really dangerous territory here. You're like, uh-oh, he's going into the submission thing. This is just where we're at in the Bible. I mean, I didn't pick this out. This is where we're at. So verse number 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Listen, your marriage is a partnership. You are a team. Every team has a leader and a captain. So what the Bible is saying is this, is that there is a leader of the team of your marriage. 
And in, in the Bible, it says that the husband is the leader of the team. Have you ever worked for that jerk boss? You know what I mean? Yeah, I got one am. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> You've worked for that guy, haven't you? He's just a dictator, right? You show up to work. He's mean. He's nasty. You do this. You do this. You do this. But boss, I got to shut up and do it, you know, and he leaves you alone, right? And he just said, do it, do it. And he's a taskmaster and he drives you. You ever been part of that, that team environment, that work environment? Like, it's, it's pretty terrible, isn't it? It's pretty terrible. Listen, husbands, if you are leading that kind of a team in your household, <laughs> your marriage is going to be terrible. It's just kind of the basics, right? But we've all worked for that boss that says, hold on, we got a problem and we're on a team together and we're going to try to solve this thing. Right? We've all had those kinds of bosses. Listen, that, that's the kind of leader, man, you need to be in your household. One that's inclusive of your wife, inclusive of your family, inclusive of the, where you're saying, like, together, we are going to go be uh, what everything God's called us to be. And so, men, it's, it's a call to us to be a leader in the household. And it's a woman, it's, it's a call to the, to the wife to be able to be able to follow that. Every team has a leader and a captain. It's interesting that even traditionally when people get married, the wife changes her last name to join his team. See, in the marriage, both partners have an equal but different roles, but someone has to be the leader. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Yeah, that's right. Husbands, love your, well, no elbows, just, just the amens. Yeah. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Love your wife. You may be the team captain of your house, but you are not to be a tyrant of the house. Right? Like, like men, that's it. We're not supposed to be tyrants of the house. We're just the captains of the house. You see, Paul used this, this Greek word, and this is important. He says, husbands, love your wives. Now, now in, in, in our English language, it's so limited. Right? Like, like I love these jeans. I love the weather. I love my wife. Very different kinds of love, right? right? You can love your parents, your brother, your sister. There's different types of love in, 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 in the world, and our limited language has, has one word for it. But in the Greek, they had different words for love. And the Bible was originally, this section was originally written in Greek. And so this is why this is important, because these different words all translate to the English word love. But, but there's different types. There's what they call eros love. That's romantic love, erotic love. And I know when every man is reading this, you know, husbands love your wife, you're like, yeah, bow, chicka, bow, wow. But, but that, that isn't the word he chose to use, interestingly enough. It wasn't that kind of love. There's another one called storge, which is like a, a family or driven by blood relation. You love your mom, you love your brother, you love your sister. There's like a blood relation that's there. He didn't use that either. He didn't use it like a, an, a, an erotic love. He didn't use it like a family love. There's another word that, that in the language called philea, which is a brotherly or a friendship love. You can love your best friend, right? And there's a different kind of love than your family and, and everything else. And he didn't use that kind of word either. There's only one left, and it's called an agape love. And he, the actual word there is an agape love. And let me explain this because, because men and women, this really matters. This really matters. And, and, and it says this, that agape, you see, understand this, that the first three are felt Love, you have an emotion and a feeling. Everything in our world tells us that if you love someone, you're going to have the fuzzy feelings on the inside. 
But there's a different kind of love that's out there. This agape love, it's a decision. It's not necessarily felt. It's a sacrificial. It's giving. It's a kind of love that gives without any expectation of anything in return. You see, the eros love, you give, but you've got a hook in it, kind of like a fishing hook, don't you? Like, like, like she says, we rub my back, and you're like, yeah, baby, I will rub your back. But you know that there's something else on that you're hoping this is going to go, right? Like in an eros kind of love, there's, there's, there's something that you're hoping for in return. In the family, it's the same way. You love your parents, mostly because you love them, but, you know, there might be an inheritance in there. I don't know what your motivations are, you know, but there's some kind of a a give back, or or if you're a teenager, you're living in their house, so, you know, you want the Wi-Fi password. You know, like, there's there's some kind of a, a family love there, and yeah, you feel it, but yeah, there's something that comes back in return. The agape love is a little bit different. It's, I will love you even if you never love me back. I will love you with everything that is in me, with zero expectations of anything ever in return. That's the kind of love that he's saying here. It's a self-denial for the sake of another. It gives love with nothing expected in return. You know, if we just glance over this, husbands love your wives, you could actually think this, like, hey, be kind to your wife. Be nice to her. But that's, yes, yes, you should be kind and nice to your wife. But this is kind of what he's really saying. Husbands continually decide to practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. It's a team. And if you're going to be in a marriage relationship, you've got to understand that there's a self-denial that comes along with that. Love is sometimes felt, but sometimes it's a decision. And just because you don't feel it doesn't mean you shouldn't decide it. And it says here that love your wife as Jesus loved the church. It's interesting that, that the church is to people. And Jesus loved us first, even before we even acknowledged him. He loved us first. Even while we were in the middle of, of, of whatever kind of craziness we were doing. Even while we were sinning, even while we were doing things that were an absolute rejection of God, he continued to love us first. So this command to love your wife as Jesus loved the church is pretty heavy, husbands, men. It's pretty heavy. If you think about it, it's like, it's like well, you know, I'm not sure if she's going to love me back. Well, that doesn't say that in the Bible. It says you're going to give unconditional self-denying love all the way, like like there's, period. (laughs) That's it, right? You gotta love your wife. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Love as their own bodies. It doesn't say love as they love their own bodies. It says love as their own bodies. In fact, the Bible talks about this in a few places. It mentions it up in the next few verses, but, but it says that, that the, the two shall become one flesh, which means everything that is mine is yours and everything that is yours is mine, which means that if, if I'm loving my wife, I'm loving myself. Love your wife as if you are loving your own body because you are one. 
It says love is her own bodies. When you get married, the Bible says that two become one and, and, and you love your wife because they are your own body. Just like Eve was part of Adam. You can't detach yourself from your own body. So don't try to detach yourself from your wife. If you love your wife, you love yourself. So you can't think of yourself in isolation as a separate entity. Because that thinking can come in sometimes. Sometimes we can start to think of, well, well, I'm me, and they're them. And during the day, I go do this thing at work, and she does that thing. And, and then at the end of the day, we hang out together for a couple hours. We enjoy each other's company. And then, you know, like, then we're back on to our own thing again. No, no, no. We, we aren't into, the Bible says that two become one. Like, like we're one unit, inseparable. So therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, because nobody likes a mama's boy, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So you're leaving your parents' family and starting your own, leaving former associations and joining together as one. There's a big temptation when you get married that when things aren't going great, you want to, like, talk to somebody about it. You ever notice that? Let me give you a tip. Don't ever talk bad about your spouse to your family. Never. Never. Everything that you ever say about your spouse to your family needs to paint your spouse in the best light possible. 100%. And let me tell you why. And it says here, you know, leave your father and mother and hold fast to the wife. And, and, and same thing. So, and, here's, and here's why that this matters so, so much. It's because in July, you guys get in a big old fight. You go home, you're talking smack about your husband or your wife to your family when you're hanging out with them. Guess what comes around the corner? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes around. Now, you and your spouse have straightened everything out. But then you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and everybody else is thinking, huh, there's that jerk that did this, this, and this. And so then you have another bump in the road a little while later. You get into a fight, you're, you're bad-mouthing, you know, you're bad-mouthing, you're, you're talking. Maybe you don't call it bad-mouthing, I'm just decompressing or whatever, you know. And so you're talking smack. And so, you know, you, you're doing this thing. And if you're talking smack about your, your husband or your wife to other people, here's what happens. Then eventually the, the D word comes up and you think, I'm going to just get divorced. Here's what happens. Your whole family will be like, I never liked that person anyway. You know why? Because you've been planting seeds of that in that relationship the entire time. You know why they don't like that person? Because you've been talking bad about them for years and years and years. If, here, here's what you want. It is in the moment when your emotions are running high and you're thinking, I'm going to divorce this person, here's what you want. You want your family to go, um, hold on a minute. This person's a pretty good person, right? I actually kind of like them. Listen, leave, leaving your family doesn't mean you have to get rid of them, but it means this is that, is that you got to be able to invest in your marriage. Don't, don't be talking trash about your marriage to other people. Don't be talking trash about your relationship to other people and, and telling you, though, that you don't, want to, you don't want the fruit that comes off of that tree. So here's what I find all the time in regards to, to marriage is this, is um, it's what I call the right person myth. The right person myth. And it's a myth. It, it, it's a mystery. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a thing. I don't believe in the right person. 
we all watch the movies. I had you at hello, you know, or had you made hello. And, 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 you know, we watch all the romantic moments on the movies and we're like, that's the moment that I knew. Oh, you knew what? That they were the right person. Well, how did you know? Because I could just feel it on the inside and I just, I just knew, you know, you just, come on, you know, you meet this person, you're like, oh, I just know, like, he's the one. I just know she's the one. What one? The one, the right one. They're, they're the right one that's for me. But, here, but here's what happens if, if you base it off of this. How do you find the right people? How do you, how do you meet the right people? Well, chemistry. We just, we just talked for hours. It was unbelievable. He just gets me. Like, like she, just, she just gets me. Right? And then like the chemistry is going and, and everybody's laughing and, and they're like, she laughs at like all my jokes, you know. And, and I just think he's so funny. And, and then everything is so warm and fuzzy on the, in the beginning. And, you know, and then, and then you're looking at the car and you're thinking about, should I buy the car, right? Maybe we get married. You're, you're looking at it in that light. And then you think, maybe I should just test drive the car because, you know, you got to test drive the car before you go and, and actually get married. And so, so then pretty soon you, you guys are you know, you're sleeping together. And then all of a sudden you've added all these other layers of, of complexity. And the Bible says that, that you know, keep, keep the bedroom stuff for marriage. Don't do that in bedroom stuff before you get married. And there's a reason for it because it layers on all this emotional complexity onto the relationship when it's not strong enough yet to support all of that. Uh, you know what I mean? It adds those extra layers that, you know, listen, your foundation isn't strong enough to build the house on yet. You just slapped the house on like a, I don't even know, not even the foundation. You found a rock in the yard. You're like, let's build a house. Yay. You know, and, and, and so you got to build that, that foundation in order to have that marriage working, right? But here's what happens is that you feel like you found something that nobody has ever had before. But our love is unique. You don't even know. Nobody's ever loved like we've loved. And they get married. And then all they have is chemistry. <laughs> I don't have to work on the relationship. Because we have it. What is, what is it? We just, we feel it. Like, it's so good. Like, we, we don't need to work on the relationship. Uh, why would I, I need to be, learn to be patient? They're never going to do anything that would ever require patience out of me. <laughs> why would I need to be, like, forthcoming and total, like, why would I need to work on my transparency? There's nothing that they're ever going to do that I'm, I'm, or I'm ever going to do that would ever require anything less than 100% transparency. Why would I ever need to work on these skills in marriage? Why would I ever need to work on this? Because we have it. Our love is unique. Nobody's ever felt like this before. So you get married. And they have problems. And they're not chemistry problems, because you got that. They're relationship problems. People get married, and then they, they get together, and then they, they, they rely on the chemistry to support the marriage, but it won't do it, because you have to have the foundational pieces. You've got to work on your marriage itself. It's a relationship problem. You see, the Bible gives these guidelines, and you might be sitting there thinking, like, like I agree, or I don't agree, or this, this, this seems a little bit counterintuitive to the way that I think about life. And, 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 and so, so you're looking at this thing, and you're questioning it. The Bible gives these guidelines for marriage not to control you and make you miserable. They are there because the one who created you and me, the one who created marriage, and our desire to, to be married, he knows what he's doing. Amen. He knows what he's doing. I, I've got a, I got a Chevy truck. Chevy truck runs great. Turn the key, it goes. It's fantastic. 
Chuck's running great. I'm loving life. We're rolling down the load. There's a book in the glove box, pretty big book. It tells me what all those little buttons and knobs do on the truck. You know, and, and sometimes I like to just figure it out on my own. But there's a few buttons and knobs that I just didn't understand what it was. They don't put words on it, you know. It's just little symbols. And I don't know what that symbol means anymore. Like, there's so many symbols. I don't even know. And I don't speak symbol. And, and so I have to get the book out and go figure it out. And, and I'm reading through the book to figure out how these buttons and knobs work. I stumbled across something. It says to change the oil every 3,000 miles. Right? And it's like you look at the 3,000 miles in the book and you're like, yeah, but I've gone 5,000 miles and things are going great. You know what? I'll just wait till maybe it feels a little funny and then I'll change the oil. Now, now, if you know anything about cars, you know that that's not a good plan of attack on your vehicle. Why? Because the manufacturer who made the car, engineered it, understands how it works, and told you that you need to change the oil every 3,000 miles. People don't screw around with that because your engine's going to blow. And by the time you think something, like you're starting to feel a little something, the damage is long done, and it's way too late. The Bible puts these guidelines in place for marriages because, because it understands that, that he created us, he wrote a manual for us, and, and there's these guidelines in place that need to be there. But things feel great, and I don't know if we need to really listen. It's, it's, it's the maintenance. It's, it's the way that God designed it. Sometimes we, we look at this and we just think it seems so archaic and like, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. Maybe you don't. I don't like changing the oil every 3,000 miles. It's expensive. Get an oil change lately? My goodness, you know? And, and so, but it's like, you got to do it, though. You got you to do it. The Bible has a plan to build your relationship. And it's not just chemistry, which is what the world tells us. Number two is this, is submit to one another. You see, verse 21 in the beginning, it steers the conversation. You should apply the part that speaks to you. And this is what I mean by this, is men... Don't pull up the men should submit to their wives. Don't, don't, don't go, honey, we're doing a Bible study tonight. Pastor Matt talked about men, women submit to their wives. We're going to look at that today. No, 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 no. Men, I don't want you to be doing that. I want you to go to the part where it's talking to the husbands and say, okay, this part's talking to me. How can I implement what God is telling me to do in my half of the equation? Same thing. Wives, women, you look at this and you go, okay, well, what is this thing about the submission? What is this thing about this? How do, how do I find a way to be a partnership with my husband and to be able to respect him and the position that he holds? You might not like the biblical structure and authority of it all and all that stuff. Well, I don't know what to tell you. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. It's something that God said. Men and women have different needs, so Paul explains how to honor and affirm each of them differently. Women need to feel loved and cherished, and men need to feel respected. They need to feel honored and respected. Submission is all about putting the needs of another members of your family ahead of your own for the purpose of the mission. Yeah. Husbands, sometimes we get distracted. Men, we get distracted. We're busy at work. You come home, work's still on your mind. You're not thinking straight. You're still thinking about that customer or that experience or, or the person you're trying to work with, those emails you didn't quite get finished before you left, the engineering. You, you've got it all going in your brain, right? And you come in the door, and then the wife is like, how was work? And you're like, oh, pretty good. And you're kind of distracted. Have you ever, man, have you ever done that? Yeah, you have, man, yeah, you, yeah, I see the nods. Okay, you guys have done this thing where you come in the door, and you're just a little bit distracted because everything's gone on that day. And so guess what? You forget to do the little thing. Or maybe sometimes the big thing. The wife asks you, hey, pull the trash out. Put the trash in. Oh, it's just a little thing, but you forget to do it. 
It happens. You get distracted. You, get, you forget to do the little things in order to express the love to our wives. But husbands, sacrificial love for his bride is, is critical for a healthy marriage. It's critical, absolutely critical. I, I'm just, as a man, I can tell you that we can get distracted with what we're working on during the day and we come home and our mind is elsewhere even though our body is there in the house. And, and so here's what, here's what you have to do. You have to find a way to let that go. You have to find a way to let that go and to detach yourself from what you've been dealing with all day long so that you can stay focused in the moment of what you're doing. Because if you constantly live in this distracted way, place, it's, it's going to wear out your, your, your marriage. It's going to wear out your family. It's going gonna, it's gonna to tear things up inside. And exhausted wives sometimes make family decisions without any input from their husbands because the husband's distracted. He's, he's missing. He's, he's, he's running around. So she's trying to manage a household and can't even get his attention he feels out of the loop because she's making decisions. And so he disconnects even more because he's like, well, my, my input's not even needed around here anymore. And all of a sudden, you start the downward spiral inside of the marriage. And the Bible is saying, hold on. If you just get back to these principles right here, he feels loved and supported and respected in the house. She feels loved and cherished. And all of a sudden, you find this relationship is now spiraling up, not spiraling down. You see, submission is when both spouses get on the same mission together on the same mission together. My last point is this, and so if the, if the band wants to come up, and it's this, you, you can't control them. You can't control them. You've tried. <laughs> you know it. You can't control them. You, you've done it. You've said those things. Maybe you made that strategy in your mind when they come home, this is what I'm gonna say and see if I can get them to do what I want them to do. Driving home from work, you're like, I got this idea. You can't control them. You tried. If only they made them like this, huh? Where just like the TV, you could, you could come home and, and be like, you know, turn up the volume or turn down the volume or let's change the subject. I'm going to change the channel. And, and, and like, let's, let's move over here. Let's move over here. And, and like, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to pause this right now because um, I need to get a, I want to pause this. I'm going to get myself a soda and then come back out and sit back. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pause it again. Like, like, like as if you got your wife has Netflix, your husband's Netflix. Don't, don't you wish you could just grab a remote control and control the other person? Isn't there moments where you're just like, I don't do it all the time, but just occasionally I just want to, there we go. Turn it up a little bit. Turn it down a little bit. Right? You want to you control the situation. Listen, you can't control them. You can't even control you some of the time. You can't control them. You can't even control you. There's times where you want to control yourself and you can't even do it. You're like, stop, stop, <laughs> make me stop. You can't even stop yourself from doing that thing you know you shouldn't be doing sometimes, right? You lose your temper, you lose your anger, you, 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 you start to gossip, you, you start to talk trash about somebody. You, you, know, you, you have these things in your life that, that you know you shouldn't be doing and you find yourself doing it from time to time. You can't control him or her. You can't even control yourself sometimes. The second that you start to use this passage as a weapon, you have crossed some serious boundaries. Next week, we're going to talk about the armor of God, which is in the, in the last uh, section of Ephesians here. And it talks about the sword, talks about the shield, talks about all these um, different, different things, right? And, and the sword would be the, the word of God. And, and, if you're, and if you're trying to use this as a weapon against your spouse, you're entering a very dangerous territory because that is not what this is. In fact, if you're using the, this, the Bible as a weapon against anyone else, 
you've crossed some lines. That's not what this is. You can turn anything into a weapon, can't you? Right, you really can't. You can turn anything into a weapon. And so if you're taking this and you're trying to weaponize it and trying to, to, to beat people up with it in any context, even if you're typing it on Facebook, you know, your keyboard warrior, quote scripture and telling people they're going to hell, that that's not, hold on. That this isn't meant to be a weapon against flesh and blood. It's meant to be a weapon against spiritual powers. And if you grab this thing and start beating people up with it, you've crossed some lines because that's not what the Bible is designed for. You could take this passage and you could weaponize it pretty easily, honestly. The stuff in here, you could be like, well, the Lord says, mm, do the dishes, right? You could just like, you could kind of make it say whatever you wanted to make it say if you're not careful here. You need to work on the part of the Bible that applies to you. Men, love your wife. Women, respect your husband. It's funny, I... I um, funny how, how these remote controls, I mean, if, if, if I'm watching the football game, preseason's back, baby. That's right. Go Broncos. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm watching the game, right, guess where that remote control is? Right in front of me. You know why? I don't want anybody else to mess with it. Because I, I got control of it. I got control of the game. I got control of what I want to watch. When the cartoons are on, guess who has the remote control? Typically Eden, my daughter, right? She's got the remote in front of her and like, and she's, she, you know, it's, it, it's, it's so funny when you, when you watch who's watching the TV, they got the remote and it's in their hand and you can pry it from their cold dead fingers or when the show's over, they'll give it to you, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's how it goes down. Listen, I just want to tell you that, that um, you can't control other people. And I'm, I'm going to just be honest that you and I, we, um, we sometimes mess up even trying to control our own life. Which is why as a believer and as a follower of Christ, here's, here's what you do is, is that many of us in the room are Christians, I know that. But, but you basically, what you're doing is you're taking this remote control, you're taking what's, what, the control of your life, and you're saying, God, I'm going to let you have this. As a believer, you, you've said this. You, you, if you're following Jesus, you said, you know what? I keep making decisions in my own life, and it's not going so well. So God, I'm going to give you control of my life. I'm going to give you control because you're the one that created me. You're the one that created this world. You're the one that gave me the word. You, God, God, you are the, the great creator. And God, you know how to run this thing better than I do. And so, so being a coming a Christian is this, as you say, I am now submitting my control of my life. I'm gonna give it to God and say, God, I want you to control me now. I want you to be able to do this. The trick is sometimes we try to reach for it. Something situation comes up in life and, and, and part of faith is that we start to struggle with our faith. We start to struggle with letting God be in control. And so we reach up and try to grab the remote back from God. It's like, no, no, no. And, and you grab it back from God and you say, I got this one. No, I got this one. This is intense. Listen, I, God, you got a lot of stuff going on. You're a busy guy. I, someone's got to be really on the controls here. And so, so I, I got this one, God. Which is so funny because that's like when the time you really need to have God in control. Listen, I want to tell you that you might be here today and you've been controlling your own life and it hasn't been going very well. You understand what it means, like you've been making decisions on your own, not, not even trying to follow God. I just want to say today could be the day where you make a decision that say, I'm going to give control to God. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. That's what the Bible would call it, making Jesus the Lord of your life. It's giving him control of everything that's going on. He loves you, he cares for you. He's not trying to beat you up. He's more concerned with your future than your past. In fact, he's so, 
He sent Jesus on the cross and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. Like, like he's already paid the consequence for your past. Like that's how much he's concerned for your future is that he wants to be in relationship with you now, moving forward. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to be with him. We guys bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the wisdom that you impart into us through it. God, even the parts that are tough to read, that even the parts that, that uh, we can go, boy, I don't know if I like this way that it's set up. God, God, I just thank you for it. God, I thank you that you've given us a roadmap on marriage. I think you've given us a roadmap on, on relationships. God, I just, I just thank you that, that you've given us. God, I just pray right now for everyone in the room that we would be able to follow you and follow your word the way that you've outlined it. Even the parts that are hard to understand or the parts that are difficult. God, I also pray for those this morning that, that, um, that maybe uh, aren't following you right now. Maybe they've never given up control of their life to you. Maybe they've never made you the Lord of their life. God, I, I just, I know that's a big step. God, I believe that you're calling some people in this room today to make that decision, to become a follower of you, to make you the Lord of their life. So if that's you, if that's right where you're at, here's what we're gonna do. I wanna give you an opportunity to say a prayer with us. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond, an opportunity to say, yes, I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life. And so, so here's how we're gonna do this. As a church, we're all gonna repeat after me this prayer and you're just gonna join in with us and you're gonna pray with all, with, and really mean it. You're gonna pray along with us and you're, and you're really gonna mean it. If you don't really mean it, don't pray. It's okay. So here we go. Dear Jesus, I give my life to you. I give you control and I make you the Lord. God, I invite you to come live inside of my heart. Help me to live for you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision, we want to celebrate with you. And, and um, you can send a text message into the office and just say decided. It's going to come on the screen here. You can text in decided right there. And, and we want to just celebrate with you and give you a couple of resources to move forward um, in this decision that you've made. And, and come on, church, let's celebrate those who made a decision to follow Jesus. Over the, last, over the last few weeks, we've seen two people make a decision to follow Christ, and, and we actually have a baptism that's coming up pretty soon. They want to get baptized. And, and so, guys, I'm just telling you, this church is growing. God is doing some things. He's moving in ways. And people are coming to Jesus. Lives are being changed. People are being healed and set free. Guys, I'm telling you, God is up to something in this house. And, and, it's the church, and I just want to be help. Guys, come along. Let's do this thing. God's up to something. Let's move where he's leading us to go. Amen? Amen. Come on, church. Let's stand. Let's sing one last song before we leave today.